from Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I would love to do another musical. I'm always telling Pedro we have to do a musical together because imagine what kind of musical he would do. It would be incredible. And he, every time I tell him, he's like, I know, you're right. If Penelope Cruz has her way, we'll one day see her in a musical directed by her frequent collaborator, Pedro Almodovar. I'm Jazz Tanke, and on this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit podcast, we'll talk to Penelope Cruz about her latest film with Almodovar, Parallel Mothers. And later in the program, we chat with Tessa Thompson about her film Passing, and we also wind up dissecting the new Sex and the City spin-off. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit podcast. Stay close. Penelope Cruz first met Pedro Almodovar when she was cast in the 1997 film Live Flesh. He had originally wanted her to star in Kika, but she was too young for the role. He promised her he would write a character for another movie, and he did but it would mark the beginning of their many collaborations. He wrote and wrote for her, including their most recent collaboration, Parallel Mothers. The film is about two single women who meet in a hospital room where they are both going to give birth. One is middle-aged and doesn't regret it, while the other is an adolescent and scared. The two women form a strong bond with one another as they both confront motherhood. Estás casada. No. ¿Y tú? Yo? No. Pues las dos somos madres solteras. Lo mío fue un accidente, pero estoy tan contenta. Lo mío también fue un accidente. Yo no me arrepiento, ¿eh? Yo sí. Pobre, no digas eso. Que todo va a salir bien, ya verás. No estás solita, ¿no? No, estoy con mi madre. Vale. Pero ella todavía no se ha hecho la idea. Pues ya se la hará. Cruz, who was just awarded Best Actress by the LA Film Critics, calls her relationship with Almodovar a fairy tale, and she credits him for finding her an agent when she was just starting out as an actress. She also credits him for inspiring her to go to theatre school. I recently spoke to Cruz about Parallel Mothers as well as her roles and what she's drawn to. We began by talking about what it has been like to be recognised for her work in this film and, of course, her reunion with Almodovar. Really emotional, you know, because we've been working together for so long. He's my friend for like 30 years. Uh, so to win with a movie that I've done with him and that has been such an intense process and and a wonderful, wonderful process. Yeah. I don't know. I love that he was the one to give me the news. Talk about this collaboration, you know, do- what did Pedro say to you about Parallel Mothers? And did he just call you? Did he send the script? Like, how did it all begin? So he told me about it 18 years ago, more or less, or 20, when we were doing press for All About My Mother. And then he never talked about it again for all this time. But when we were in the total lockdown at the beginning of the virus, he called me and he told me that he was writing this story and that he was writing for me. And that was such great news to hear. Also, I was really happy that he was creating, that he was writing, you know, uh, during those times. And, and I told him, Pedro, I remember you shared this with me so long ago. 
And and I think he didn't remember that he had shared this story with me. Of course, I don't forget anything that he shares with me. Oh my gosh. So he writes this during the pandemic and, you know, you're reading this script. What was it that like struck you about, you know, this character? Because what an, ex- you know, it is such an exceptional portrayal of, you know, motherhood and just being a woman and you know if anybody can write women it is you know Pedro so talk about getting that script and reading this well I was blown away by it I thought like what an incredible homage to motherhood Mm. uh, through these very different three mothers that he doesn't judge at all that are put in very extreme difficult situations and I just fell in love with Janice. I mean, what happens to her is so unexpected. And so we can say it's not something that happens very often in, in life. And, and then the, 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 the drama doesn't end there because she has to deal with this situation and decide if she's, if she's going to live the rest of her life with this lie so that she doesn't lose what she loves the most, this little girl. Yeah. Or or if she's going to risk everything by saying the truth, because she also loves Anna, and Anna has lost everything already. So it's such an incredible moral dilemma that to have that in my hands to play with every day, you know, and to... It was such an incredible adrenaline trip every single day on the set with him and with, with all the cast. It was kind of an addictive feeling, you know. It was exhausting, but I yeah. enjoyed every second of it. Because Janice has to become such a professional liar in life, you know. Mm. So to have the permission to do that with a character, but also with a good motivation behind, because she just doesn't want to lose what she loves the most. I don't know. It was really, I feel very grateful that he has all this trust in me. Really, yeah. really grateful. Yeah, I remember watching that for the first time. And when, you know, Janice Arturo says that, you know, maybe she's not mine. Like, you know, she doesn't, there's that scene. And that's like the first twist that of many or like the, the hints to come. Talk about reading that moment in the script. Like if you remember reading that and what your thoughts were. You, you mean the moment when she finds out? No, when he's set, you know, when he's looking at the baby and he's like, I don't think she's <laughs> mine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think there is so much humor in that scene. It is so yeah. uncomfortable to watch. And I remember feeling so upset and so angry with with Israel, with the actor, not with him, but, yeah. with, <laughs> but with him too, because he was playing it very well. And I just wanted him to get out of the house as soon as possible and be alone with the baby. And I just think it's so clever the way Pedro directed that. I mean, there are so many moments here that you can see what a master of cinema he is and the choices that he makes. But that's one of them. The camera is not even like too close to anybody. It's like in a corner of like somebody who's spying the situation. And it's just so uncomfortable and so funny at the same time. Yeah. Oh my God. Did you know, did he tell you what was going to happen with the characters when he gave you the script or did you, were you just, was that a discovery process? I knew because when he told me 20 years ago, 
that's the only thing he told me is that Janice was a photographer and what happens to the babies the day they give birth? Oh my God. What happens in that hospital? So I knew that. So I was like, hmm. so looking forward to, to read uh, the rest and to find yeah. out what happened in the story. I had no idea. Wow. And I, I, I could not, I, I just could not even breathe when I was reading it. I finished, I called him, I was like blown away. But this has happened to me so many times. Like every time he has sent me script, all of his scripts, I've been like, I keep reading and I feel like, oh my God, is this going to stay on this level until the end? And it does. Such an yeah. incredible writer. Yeah. How do you prepare for this role? Like, you know, mentally, how do you research this? Like, talk about that aspect because she goes through such loss. And as you said, you know, she has to, like, she becomes this liar and she and you're you're on this journey with her right until you're like how is this going to end and then you have that moment where you know her conscience comes through and she makes that yeah. choice well we prepared together uh, we rehearsed with Pedro for more than four months and there was a point at the end of the rehearsals where we were sometimes doing like a half of the script nonstop and we were in the real location. And it was such yeah. a blessing to have that time. And he's very generous to give that time to every department. I think we really needed all that time here because the script was so strong that the first rehearsals, the first few days, we could not read or do any scenes without crying. And he was very patient and he was he was always saying to us it's fine um, I know you're gonna go through things your own things will mix up it means it's impossible not to without forcing anything but it was just really strong to read some of those scenes and he said just so you know I will make sure your own tears are not are not gonna mix with the tears of Janice or the tears of the other characters so actually, a lot of that process was about drawing many of our own tears and finding a place of communication of feelings and what relationship she has with her own feelings. Yeah. That is Janice. It's her own. It's very different from mine. I think myself in a situation like that, I would have been crying all day long, like active yeah. and looking for solutions not paralyzed, really active and planning and plotting and trying to decide what, what is the best thing. But I, I would have been trying nonstop. And I think Milena probably feels the same way. We're very similar in that way. Yeah. But, but Janice is a, is a very different personality and very different background. Also, she was an orphan. She was raised by one person, this grandmother, very grateful to her, but she's lacking, you know, this ideal family that she's dreaming about that someday she will have. So we had to find her way of expressing or non-expressing her feeling, her feelings and, and playing someone that is an amazing liar in life, which I think I am not. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun to play that. I love that. Um, 
talk about, you know, like, you know, I think you said it just just then where like, you know, Janice is almost in this survival, like she she's like living to survive, like she's doing everything she can. And then when Anna kisses her, it's like, oh my gosh, like I think I, I just like that catches the audience by surprise. Like talk about that moment. That was really scary for me to do because I have three moments in front of that computer and all of them have to be different. And all of them are really painful. And there is so much fear and anguish and desperation related to those moments, but they could not be done the same way. And he just let me improvise a lot of things. And probably we did like five takes of every one of those scenes. And I just, what I just tried to do is like, really experience that moment, really be there and, and read. I was, I was really uh, reading the results, mm. uh, really reading that email and like try to really put yourself in a situation of somebody that exper- experiments, uh, experiences that kind of threat. Yeah. And every time just try to, to go through that, knowing that, of course, the safety net is that, fortunately, it was a fiction, but but really try to go all the way with our imagination. And I thought it was the only way to, to go 100%. And Pedro was there. Sometimes he would get angry and say, I want you to do the same without suffering. But then I would get angry with him. Like joking, of course, we never got angry with each other. Uh, we it, it was an amazing ride together. But he would tell me, I want you to do the same thing you're doing without suffering. And I, I just would start laughing and say, but how can you say that to me? If if you are not sleeping, you are not, you are so worried, like to a point where we all were worried about him because you think like he would give his life for the movie. It's very extreme, the the, the way he he experiences the time on the set. In a way, yeah. he's very happy, but at the same time, he's like, so then if I, I would tell him that, then he would start laughing like, okay, it's true. I cannot give you that advice. But, but he was always there to, like, to, to, to save us, to bring us back to reality, to say, okay, now that's enough. Now let's go out. Let's go out, out of the studio. Let's go to the street. Let's... One time I just saw him in the hallway, like after the confession scene, and I just needed a hug from him. And it had to be from him. And, and, and it was like, um, really hardcore that day, but I don't look back as, wow, how deep, how much did we suffer? No, I look back as an incredible adventure and, and feeling so grateful for, for his trust, for putting in my hands this kind of material over and over again. Probably yeah. this one has been the most difficult from all the ones that I've done with him. Um, not that the other ones were easy, but they are difficult because they are complex, because they are interesting, because they are not just one side of things. And and no, like 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 we all are, like all humans are. And um, I mean, we cannot do anything like that without without uh, a director and a writer um, like him with that much the truth that he has, the, the lack of judgment of the characters, it is so inspiring, you know, for us on the set to be able to to try to try to give our 100%. It doesn't mean like we will accomplish that, but 
you know, like it's really a huge motivation to try to to give you a hundred percent and don't and don't disappoint him. Yeah. You have such an incredible, you know, relationship with him and watching that evolve over the years. I mean, what do you remember? Let's go back to like Live Flesh, which is what, 1997, like the first time working with, with Amodova. Yeah, uh, that was the um, the first time because he called me before that for Kika, but I was too mm. young. And he said, I will write you a character for another movie. And then he <laughs> called me for Live Flesh. And it was 10 minutes of the movie giving birth in a bus. And and actually, it was a role that opened so many doors for me because it was so different from, from everything that I had done. I was very lucky at the beginning, you know, with offers that were very, very different roles from each other. And, and this one, even if it was 10 minutes, was really important for me. And, and I was in that, in those scenes, um, I was with Pilar Bardem and, um, who then later became my, my mother-in-law. Yeah. So that movie is very special to me. Oh my gosh. I mean, you have such an incredible, you know, if you go through IMDb, like your roles are so varied. How do you pick, you know, how, what draws you to a project? So um, I, I, I try to, to do stuff that is as, as different as possible from myself, Mm. from each other, from, from, from all the characters that I've played, like, I don't want to do the same thing twice. Um, I think we all look for that, for yeah. com- complex um, material. But but we depend on the la- on the trust of others to to give that um, material to us. And I feel like I've been very lucky from the beginning because my first two movies were Belle Epoque and Hamon Hamon were so different from each other that I just got very lucky with that because it was a presentation card that was okay, com- com- two completely different characters and none of them were really like myself. And I I always like remembering this and saying it and being grateful, you know, for all the opportunities. Like with, for example, with Pedro, like seven movies together of characters yeah. that are so different from each other and so demanding and interesting and and complicated and beautiful mm, I don't know I just I feel like uh, I've won the biggest lottery with him you know because he's the the artist that I I got so much inspiration from him growing up uh, he's the reason why I decided to to try to to try to find an agent, to go to a theater school, to to try it so that maybe one day I could work with him. So yeah. it's been kind of like um, it's like a fairy tale what we have together. Like, yeah. I, for me, it is. You were fabulous in American Crime Stories, Donatella Versace, and thank I, you. That was such a great character arc. Um, would you like to do TV again and like? live with a character for such a long time what are you yeah i loved i love that experience exactly for that reason first of all i love playing donatella she's such an iconic woman and i mean right. i really like her she's always been so nice to me and so charismatic and so 
when Ryan told me about that, it was so attractive, the idea of playing her. And first thing I, I did was calling Donatella. I called her to ask her if she agreed with me playing her. And she said yes. And she said she was not involved with the show, but if somebody was going to play her, she she was happy that it was me because she knew that I um, respected her and and she knew what I was going to do with it uh, in terms of, you know, respect and admiration and so I enjoyed it so much because um, to live with a character for, for such a long time, when we rap, I just could not understand that I was not going to play her ever again. I felt like it, yeah. it could not finish. It was such a weird feeling. In a way, I still feel like that, that I didn't finish playing her. Um, yeah. That is a, a, a great, great experience and a great exercise for for. Uh, for actresses and actors in terms of like living with that character for such a long time and exploring, having the time to, to experience, experience them in so many different situations. Well, watch this space. You've put, you've put, you've put it out there now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Up up next for you is the 355, which I'm so excited for because very rarely do we get, you know, female spy movies and like, you know, an incredible cast headlining this. I mean, what was that like for you to play uh, Graciela and talk about, you know, what she's about and what the film's about? So is this um, five female spies, but I'm Graciela is actually not a spy. She's a psychologist and she doesn't mm. work on the field. And when Jessica and Simon approached me to do this, um, I was very excited to be part of a movie that is this genre where it's like five female leads, the ones that are saving the world. And I, Jessica asked me, but what would you like to do in a, in, in a, in a, in a spy film? What do you imagine that you would like to do? to bring, you know, what, what kind of character. And I propose to them to be the fish out of water because I feel that I have not seen that a lot in, in this genre, in the spy world. And I always felt that that could also bring some humor and, and could make part of the audience identify with the one that doesn't belong on the field, that is very good at what she does, but she's used to be working at home. She, as a mother, she, she, she's normally not traveling around the world or putting herself in danger. Um, so that was that was very well received by them. And at that point, the script was not written, so that was in, included into the incorporated into the story. And and I, I I'm very happy with the with the movie. I saw it a few months ago and I think it really works and I think it's a very smart script and it's clever and funny and, and I love seeing all these women together yeah. in, in a movie of this genre. I think it's like one more step into a direction that maybe, you know, maybe we will see more and more of that. But if you look back, like maybe like 10, 15 years, it was, or maybe even even more recently, really hard to find something like that, especially of this yeah. type of genre where the leads are, you know, five women. Yeah, that's so true. That's why I can't wait to to 
to see this. Um, one of my favorite films of yours is Nine, the musical. I thought it was superb. And I know you've performed you. a few times in, you know, in your films throughout the career. Would you like to do another musical? I would love to do another musical. I'm always telling Pedro we have to do a musical together because imagine what kind of musical he would do. It would be incredible. And he every time I tell him, he's like, I know, you're right. But I don't know, maybe maybe one day he will make that decision. Um, you have to keep pushing him. No, but I never push him because I respect <laughs> him too much to push yeah. him. I, he always shares stories with me of scripts that he's writing and he just told me a new one last month and it's incredible but he he tells you and then he says well I don't know if I will ever do it we'll see <laughs> maybe in 10 but, 10 years 20 years exactly, he'll come back exactly. to the musical exactly and then he will call and say I have this story and I will remember every single thing because he had at some point shared it with me but um, yeah, musicals are a dream for me because I danced for 18 years of my life. And then when I did nine, I was terrified of singing. And it was Rob Marshall and, and John DeLuca who convinced me that I could, well, I had to do a lot of tests for that. A lot of casting process was kind of long, but they they gave me a lot of confidence, you know, and convinced me that I could sing. And and we did it with a lot of work and a lot of training. But I had so much fun doing that movie. We oh were rehearsing God. for five months. And I remember Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis, who is an angel. And he was always there in all the rehearsals, even if it, it was not his numbers. He was there with us um, on character, with the accent, with... I. I love that man so much. He's such an incredible, I mean, we all know he's an incredible actor, but he's such a, a good man. That's Penelope Cruz, star of Parallel Mothers, now playing in theatres. And after the break, Tessa Thompson from the film Passing will join us. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. I'm Jazz Tanke. In the film Passing, Tessa Thompson stars as Irene Redfield, a black woman living in Harlem amid the Renaissance, whose life with her doctor husband Brian, played by Andre Holland, and their two sons is turned upside down when she reconnects with Claire Kendry, played by Ruth Negger, a childhood acquaintance who's since begun passing for white and is married to a wealthy and racist businessman named John, played by Alexander Skarsgård. The movie, which marks Rebecca Hall's feature directorial debut, recently earned five Gotham Award nominations, including a lead performance nod for Thompson. I recently spoke with Thompson about what struck her about this story, working with director Rebecca Hall, her process for stepping into the character of Irene, and her love for Shakespeare. We began by discussing her thoughts on the Sex and the City reboot, and just like that. I'm also the person that, like, has listened to podcasts about, like, I, like, have, like, listened to, like, critical theory, both about the original Sex and the City and now about this reboot. Like, I'm, I'm deeply entrenched in 
in it. Um, and it is interesting to think about something that in, in a way like defined its time was in some ways ahead of its time. I'm talking about the original series. Yeah. And, and is when you go back and watch some of the things is problematic and speaks to its time. So it, I was really like legitimately unironically really fascinated to know how they would handle it um, in this new time, in this new era. Um, yeah. Never mind like Samantha and all the things to deal with, but <laughs> so it's been a treat, really a treat. I could talk about this for a long time. So you better pivot the question elsewhere. If we you could. Talk about passing. I was like, we're never going to look at the Palace and Bike ever again. I was like, oh my. Have you seen the new ad, by the way? Of course. You, I just told you I've listened to podcasts. You know I've seen the Peloton ad. Um, yes, I have. And way, way to be on top of the branding. Because the first thing I texted to a friend, I was like, this is not a good look for Peloton. And I also heard that they didn't know. They asked for a licensing, but they didn't tell them how they were going to use it. So I think that they did very well with getting on top of it and ASAP. <laughs> I mean, what a way to go. Anyway, let's divert back to passing. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're so welcome. Uh, what has it been like? I mean, this film, Passing, screened back at Sundance, right? Way back almost a year ago. And, you know, it's out there now. And your screenings are packed. People are sharing their stories with you, their reactions. And what is that like for you to hear that and... I guess no two stories are the same, right? Because everybody's got a different experience, but share that. Yeah, you know, it's been incredible. Typically, I feel like you make you make something, you put it into the world, it doesn't really belong to you anymore. So I tend to sort of like a healthy distance between the work that I put out and how it's, you know, landing on people. It's not really my business in a, in a way. But with this one, it's been different. I, you know, we've been luckily now that we can do it a little more safely, Ruth and Rebecca and myself and our producers, you know, um, Nina and Margot have been going to some of these screenings and directly engaging with folks right after. And what's so fascinating is, yes, there are people that tell their stories about the legacy of passing in their own family. Um, but what is astounding is how much it's resonated with people outside of the conversation around racial identity. And also that seemingly we've made a piece of work that people have such different takes on uh, in terms of what the story is, is about. For some people, it's about, um, you know, infidelity. For some people, it's about uh, repression of self. Some people, it's a, it's inherently a queer piece of work. Uh, the, the takes have been so wildly different. And even between audience members that come together, then to see them squabble over what they see in the film has been really interesting. And I'm not sure that I've ever been a part of a piece of work that feels almost like a Rorschach test in terms of how people see it. Um, and that's really exciting. Yeah. Is there one story that has stuck with you? Yeah, I mean, there's been so many to be to be honest. Um, but something that was really interesting is there's this um, uh, person named Linford um, Linwood, sorry, who drives me a lot. This uh, driver named Linwood, and uh, I really like him, and I always request him because he's really sweet and he listens to the best jazz, and we have lots of conversations about music. And, you know, I've been getting to know him over the past, like, handful of weeks. Um, and he told me a story and started to show me all these photographs of all of these family members inside of his family and some family members that could pass and, and some that did and some that didn't and his aunts and his uncles and just 
started to sort of unpack his own relationship to it. And the thing that felt really interesting to me is that it clearly hadn't been something that he had thought about. It had been a history that he's very familiar with in his family, but that he had almost not discarded, but just it hadn't occurred to him to think about it until he was engaging with with our film, which is so interesting. And so I started to sort of think around all the people, surely, that are um, excavating their own family history. And certainly that's where this film, that's the place it came from for Rebecca. She had sort of whisperings and ideas and there was so much mystery inside of her family. And then upon doing some more digging, she really has found out exactly where she comes from. And so I'm so curious about people that are doing the same thing because of our movie, potentially. That's so amazing. I mean, going back, like reading Nella's novel and then Rebecca's screenplay, like what was it that struck you as you're sitting there reading both of these, you know, stories? I think apart from obviously the really uh, robust and fascinating conversation around racial identity um, was also just the uh, conversation around this sort of central question that I think both the novella and our film ask, which is like, how free are any of us, never mind our particulars, how free are any of us to really construct our own identity and to be the fullest expressions of ourselves, um, no matter the time that we exist in. And to me, that's a really universal idea that sort of holds up. Um, so I was really struck by that most fundamentally. Um, and also I'm just really, I'm really interested and turned on and intrigued by things that deal with identities. Some of my favorite artists are the ones um, that you get a sense that they have made these sort of constructions of self that are both a reflection of self, but also shield you from understanding exactly something about them that's fundamental. So I've always been really curious about that. But something that really struck me in reading the novella was just, it's such beautiful prose. It's like the most gorgeous writing, the way that Nella describes the smallest of gestures or thoughts. And that was really um, just the poetry of, of her language. And then having that, you know, trying to imbue the performance with a sense of that, you know, the, the book for as repressed as our central character is in her own way, Irene, her experiences of the world are actually quite sensual and sensorial. Yeah. And so trying to capture that um, was really just a, a very fun challenge and to get to do it opposite Ruth and, and under Rebecca's, you know, guidance was really such a dream. Didn't she have rehearsals in her house? I remember like her saying that once or like reading about it. I was like, oh my goodness, like that's such a great experience. I mean, what was that experience like and how much does that help you like as you say, like, you know, you guys connected so well and you sense that as an audience member, like watching that. It was actually quite, the, the whole experience of making the film felt very, very intimate, but we happened to be making it right before Thanksgiving and both Ruth and I flew out early. We drove upstate New York and I was there for a day or two and then Ruth joined us. She got straight off a plane and came direct to us. And then we just spent the next three days together just hanging out and we had Thanksgiving dinner and we just spent so much time, you know, both just about the script, obviously the talking about characters, but also just being with each other, you know, being with each other. And, and, and there was a kind of intimacy because we're in Rebecca's home. We're with her family. We're with her daughter. We're with her husband. We're watching her inside of her domesticity, which is 
beautiful. Their love is beautiful. And to like be a part of that and also be unpacking. So the, our film talks about motherhood, about marriage, about responsibility to self, about the trappings of being, you know, a, a, a woman inside of all of those parameters. Um, so to be doing that work, you know, while I'm playing with Rebecca's daughter and my dog, who's right here, Coltrane is running around. It felt, you know, it, 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 it did feel very singular, unlike any work experience I've really had. And I do think, um, I do, maybe it's like the California and me. I do think all of those energetic things make their way on screen in ways that you can't even articulate. It's kind of, yeah, it, it, it gets baked into the DNA of the project. What was your process for getting into Irene's head and like who she was as a person? Like, where did that come from? I think it came, well, I mean, so many things. Again, I was so helped by, by the source material because Nella is so verbose about Irene's processing and all of her thoughts. So I literally could kind of score my script with, with thought um, and feeling because I understood via Nella um, sort of the inner workings of the character, even and especially in the moments when she um, when she isn't aware of it. Um, Nella very much is. And so that was really helpful. And then I think, you know, uh, in the same way that I don't think it's entirely possible to play chemistry, I think it's something that exists. In a similar way, I think if you're trying to play a character that's having a very heightened physiological experience, there's a certain amount of just like giving over to that. And I think, you know, part of Irene's struggle is she's someone who um, is deeply afraid of being seen and um, both by herself and, and by others. And I think that that's something, you know, I've done a lot of growth and work in terms of being able to show up in the world is my most authentic self, but there are certainly moments a younger self in me didn't have that bravery, didn't have that faculty, didn't have that capacity. And so remembering those times, expanding um, that, allowing myself to sort of, you know, get to that space, you know, was a, was a part of the job and not always the most comfortable, <laughs> not always the most comfortable part. Um, but it was, um, it had its own sort of, yeah, joy, I think, trying to capture that, uh, that sort of, yeah, I guess, privacy and emotional, um, yeah, like, vulnerability, I suppose. It's kind of crazy when you think, like, this was written, what, maybe a hundred years? No, it was, like, it's set, like, a yeah. hundred years ago, right? Like, yeah. and then you watch it today, and there's that contemporary feel to it. I mean, and then, you know, you have the, the conversations, like the dinner scene, right? Uh, Which could literally be a conversation today. I mean, talk about filming a scene like that and just how the, the, the timeliness of this too. Yeah. I mean, it's, un it's, it's, it's unfortunately uh, timely and I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'd like to think that a hundred years from now, you could, you know, a scene like a scene like that would um, not be poignant, not be necessary anymore. It wouldn't have utility, but I'm not sure that's the case. I think the the, the hand of of justice and progress in this country is perhaps more delicate uh, and slow moving than we'd like to admit. But um, Andre Holland and I were so excited to shoot that scene because it felt, and this was before the events of. 
George Floyd, you know, but still it felt like something that you could pluck out of their mouths and into the mouths of parents now. And certainly felt like something as two Black people, if we had a child tomorrow, would be something that we'd be wrestling with ourselves. And so in that way, it felt very personal. And then also it was just very exciting. Andre and I have, you know, been friends for some years. We made it this film Selma together, didn't have much to do necessarily in that, in that film together. And so we've just long admired each other as actors and, and have like nerded out, you know, like reading Shakespeare for fun together, you know, like just, so we were very excited to get to play a scene. And that scene in particular, I think has a certain, you know, real rhythm, you know, because we get to it, we're sort of, you know, fighting about this. Yes. Very real thing that's happening in terms of how to raise and instruct our young black sons. But there's this other argument that's happening that has everything to do with the subtext of their marriage that has to do with the interjection of Claire into their lives and what that represents for both of them, very different things. Um, and so they're kind you're watching them have a real conversation in some ways and have a bunch of wires crossed in others. And so getting to play those two things at once with someone as agile and open and generous as Andre was really a gift. And it was something we were like really looking forward to. It felt like, you know, like the anticipation of like, today's the day, you know, we've been (laughs) thinking about it, talking about it for a while. And in terms of, you know, the kind of scene work that feels like a dance, it was like, it's been a long awaited, waltz or tango or whatever you want to oh my gosh call it you and Andre have to go and see the tragedy and we're back just because you met you mentioned that you both read Shakespeare and it's like it is verbatim Macbeth and it's superb but yeah I can't wait to see it I really I might go see it tomorrow um yeah I'm really I, I really love and you don't have the opportunity to do that very often with with modern material that has a real specific sort of you know, cadence and, and, and rhythm that it wants to sit into those opportunities are really rarefied. And, you know, I come from like my first sort of falling in love with, with acting was in classical theater. And it's all about that sort of, you know, rhythm. Um, And there's sort of an objective um, way that it's performed well, that has to do with, you know, kind of specificity around how language is used. Um, and so it's really nice. It was nice to do something that sort of felt like that in a way. Yeah. What's so great about this is, you know, Rebecca wrote a script and it's in the story too, like this unraveling of a black woman, which we don't often see on screen, like Hollywood needs, you know, again, maybe in 20 years time, Hollywood will change, but that was so beautifully done. What was that like for you to play Irene and go on this journey with her it was a dream I've I've been wanting to play a part like this for so so long um because I you know so so many of the films as you said there's there's a there's a big sort of Hollywood history of getting to watch the internal lives of of female protagonists but they are more than often white and I remember the first time I saw like the work of Cassavetes or when I saw Todd Haynes films and got to see Julianne Moore or any of his sort of leading ladies um, play these really complex characters um, I thought like that must be nice and I will probably not have the opportunity to do that because if I look at the landscape of Hollywood that just isn't they don't lens a woman like me getting to do things like that. We don't get asked to do that. Um, 
And I have just wanted to for so long. So it really felt like a, a dream come true. And also I think so often I, and I've, you know, done many projects that I love, but you play characters that are functional. You know, you're the love interest or you're the, you have some sort of job and you move the plot forward. Um, and you try to make it interesting and mind what you can, um, out of that, but to get to play a character where we're just looking at her, a, a portrait of a, a woman at a very particular time in her life and to watch her unraveling and, and also to allow her not to add up to anything, to allow this room for ambiguity, um, for her to just exist for her own sake. I think that's something that we don't get to do as, yeah, as Black women very often in film. And it's, it's something that I want to see more of. I certainly want to do more of, but I want to see more of um because we deserve to have that space you know we deserve to yeah. get to be those kind of protagonists you mentioned uh Selma what is your memory of working on that movie and you were there the other night at the Critics Choice Awards when Ava was on you know on stage uh you know getting the Trailblazer Award I mean take us back to Selma Selma was incredible it was really um really just such a tremendous thing to have the opportunity to to work on, to be very literally retracing these steps of these trailblazers um, that, that did this incredible work to try to change, you know, our country and, and change our legacy. And we're like literally standing on their shoulders and also just the real spirit of that ensemble, you know, how much time we spent um, doing all the things, like talking about the work, talking about what we as Black artists want to create, going to church, frequenting the churches that MLK himself and his family would have been in, doing research together, really the, the spirit of the ensemble. And, and to get to see Ava, you know, in that space as a filmmaker, um, just her attention to detail, how much she was able to hold. I mean, some of those big group scenes where we're all marching is hundreds and hundreds of extras. And you'd see her like running around with Dixie cups, making sure that everyone's hydrated. You know, there's a, a real spirit of telling a story that's a, that, that is important and also trying to um, really treat these figures as humans, allow them their humanity, let them live and breathe as, as real people as opposed to these sort of abstract ideas that feel very separate from us. And I really love, it's something I love about passing I loved about working on Selma is I feel like it's really easy to assume that you'd be on the quote right side of history and I think especially as a black American I really relish the opportunities to interrogate self and go like how would I have showed up in those moments it, uh, how am I showing up now um, inside of this current time and I think that's really I think that's really useful and and in terms of an offering too, I think it's a good thing for audiences to, to get to wrestle with. And also we just laughed a lot. Coleman and Domingo, Coleman Domingo and I became the best of friends and just were like very silly and had a lot of laughs, even though we were playing, you know, very impactful people. You realize that a part of our resilience has to do with being able to dance and laugh and, and, and hold each other and hold space for each other. Yeah. How do you pick your projects? Like what is, the what attracts you to some like Sil, you know Sylvie's love or you know the Creed series or you know yeah I th I'm really interested in sort of where we haven't been before you know um whether it's as as you know 
women, as Black women, as queer people, what spaces have we not gotten to inhabit? I think there's still like, and then, and then selfishly, it's also just like, what sounds fun? What sounds intriguing? You know, like one of the reasons why I wanted to, you know, step into the Marvel universe is I thought it must be so weird to perform in a big green space and have to pretend, you know, um, that kind of imagination and, and have to really not take yourself so seriously and, and really play in the way that kids do, you know, when you're like wielding a plastic you know, sword, like, and having a cape, you know, that kind of commitment. Uh, I wonder if I can do that and do that well. And so sometimes it's just, is there something in the project that feels interesting, that feels unexpected? Um, I think the idea, particularly for, um, you know, Black performers is like, it's not enough that we get to be inside of narratives. What kind of narratives do we get to be inside of? And, in, in, you know, in terms of a conversation around diversity, is there also a focus on diversity of thought, idea, and presentation? So I really feel very lucky that I've gotten to work in, in you know, spaces that are big in scope and big in budget and also tiny and make movies for $2 and, you know, very yeah. small, quiet stories. Um, because I think for so long we've had very narrow parameters in terms of what you what you can do, and and it can be very easy to get boxed into a a, a very specific space. And I just have never wanted to 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 do that, frankly. So I think sometimes it's just about being able to upend expectations and and not um, not be easy to pin down in terms of what my what my choices might be. And now it's really exciting to also parlay that into producing and get to really be involved in story and narratives that I'm not in front of the camera at all, but get to be really integral to the process of getting a story made and told. And that's been really a joy. Uh, you mentioned Thor. How much fun was that to to be reunited with Taika and just, <laughs> you know, he is this fun, the most fun person in the world. Like everybody needs to have like an afternoon with Taika, but He's a bonkers, he's a bonkers <laughs> human being and I really love him and I feel really grateful to get to call him not just like a, a collaborator twice over, but a but a good friend. And, you know, we had a ball. It was interesting because, you know, the last one that we made, it was really like we had so much freedom because it wasn't necessarily a franchise that I think Marvel uh, was too worried about. You know, I mean, Asgard, we literally were destroying it in the last film and then thankfully people really liked it. So it's like now there's sort of, where do we go from here? And it's really fun to try to, you know, capture that spirit of, of fun and play again. And it was so nice to have Natalie, who's a, a friend of mine come and, and be in that space too. And I mean, hopefully we made a good movie. We'll see. I, it was definitely very, very fun to make and so fun to watch Christian Bale and all the new actors that that came our way. Everyone just brought something so incredibly unique and, and fantastic to it. So I can't wait to see. I haven't seen any of it, so I don't know. Watch. We'll watch this space. Um, I was reading somewhere that you wanted to be a lawyer at one point. I did, yeah. That's what I thought Where? I would be. I think, yeah, I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I wanted to do at one point. And then I saw the textbook, which is like 10 inches thick. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to make it through the next two years of this course. What what changed your path? Gosh, I you know, it sounds probably trite, but like uh, taking a film class in high school and taking like a theater course as an elective, just because 
frankly, I was sort of like, oh, this will be easy. Um, and just it kind of blowing my mind, you know, like I remember just, I had read, you know, you read Shakespeare, you'd be like, I read like Romeo and Juliet my freshman year in high school. And I kind of skimmed it and it was like, okay. And then I remember seeing a group that I later apprenticed with this all female Shakespeare company, seeing them deal with the language. And it was like, for the first time I could hear the text crystal clear. And it became clear to me that it wasn't alchemy. It was just trained performers that knew how to make that text sing, that knew how to make it accessible, that knew how to make it feel um, entirely natural and understood because they just could do it so well. And I was like, I want to do that. It feels like that's like a, I don't know. That's, that's something I want to know how to do. And that's something that I will continuously, there's so many other things that I was interested in that I'd pick up and put down. And I didn't really care. The idea of not being great at something was kind of like, well, I don't care. And this was the one thing that felt like a thorn in my side, the idea and not being able to just get better and better and better at it. Um, and then I think all of the things that I was interested in, like I look at early things that I thought I could do, like I studied cultural anthropology for a while. It's like all about people. Even law is the idea of getting as a lawyer. I think the the, the thing that excited me about it, um, never mind that the criminal justice system, you know, needs work and trying to think of being sort of a, a good person in that space. But it was also just getting to change people's minds and perception, getting to persuade people, um, which is also a part of my job. Um, you know, so I don't know. I think I've, I've everything that I was interested in from a young age kind of points to what I'm doing now. And I think what feels really exciting is to think about all of the other ways to contribute outside of just performing. And I think that's kind of what producing, performing is like my always love, um, but it's really fun to get to access other, um, other areas of the industry. I feel, you know, in a real way fascinated by all of the facets of it, apart from just sort of performing. Is there a Shakespearean text that if you could either produce or make, which one would you star in? Is there one? I don't know that I'd star in, but I, I, I think I'm really fascinated by The Tempest. I just think it's that that one feels like so hard. I don't know how you would adapt that necessarily for film, but I think it could also be so fantastical. Um, I'm also really interested just when you think about those original companies, the parts that were played by the same actor, I think getting to see that on screen, uh, could be really interesting. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to see Macbeth. I'm like a big, um, fan of even the ones that I don't love. I love watching Shakespeare adaptations on film. Like I love that. Also generationally, like the Romeo and Juliet was huge for me, um, Claire Danes, like legend, um, but I, but I, but I love all of that. I am like, I, I eat it up. So it would be an absolute dream to get to, to produce an, an adaptation of something for sure. Put it out there in the ether. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. let you go, but who's your favorite sex? I mean, since we started talking about sex in the city at the beginning, who's your favorite? My favorite character? Yeah. I mean, it's probably Samantha, honestly. I mean, um, you think about her as a character and there's there's so many things actually the show does that's really ahead of its time um but 
Samantha arguably more than any of the other characters in terms of a woman who is unapologetically sex positive, um, who says what she wants, does what she wants, um, is uh, a fantastic businesswoman, a great friend. Uh, She sort of subverts all of your expectations. And also Kim Cattrall is just so great in it and so believable and delicious and fantastic. So I would say Samantha, but I I love, I love all those characters. I just think it's a really, um, yeah, it's an interesting show. It's no surprise that it's kind of out of the, the minds of gay gay men. It's like this idea of (laughs) what gay men think women are, but for that reason, I think there's something very progressive about some of those women, but particularly Samantha. Totally love it. And I was like, okay, I just don't want to carry friend because Carrie would not call did not call 911. But that's a whole other podcast that we want I have know, I know. I I keep seeing people um repost Jonah Hill's <laughs> Jonah, <laughs> Jonah <laughs> which I was like, I won't do that because I'm not gonna spoil it for anyone. I would have been devastated. Like I had to watch it immediately because I was like, I will not have to spoil for me. But I know she I guess it's just shock. I don't know what to think, but she yeah, she should have called 911 probably sooner. But you know, and just like that, it was dead. That's Tessa Thompson's star of the film passing, which is now streaming on Netflix. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Griffith and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find all the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Clayton Davis, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Jazz Tanke. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you all, and we'll see you on the circuit. <laughs>